and obviously I'm a trans woman living in Nigeria, which is like, like it's, it's a crazy navigation. When we are going in desert, we walk for good six hours. My leg was trapped. Hey everyone, welcome back to another episode of Lay of the Land. We're embarking on a courageous and vital journey today. We have the privilege of sharing the story of a remarkable young man who triumphed over unimaginable challenges. Due to the sensitive nature of his experience, our guest has chosen to remain anonymous. Child abuse is an unsettling reality, not just in Nigeria, but across the globe. It's a conversation that demands our attention as we strive to create a safer world for all children. So grab a cup of coffee or tea, Settle in and join us as we shed light on this difficult yet crucial topic. Ellis' memory of my childhood was, it has to be a smell. I remember a particular smell from the house of one of our neighbors at the time. It has, it's, not, it's not a bad smell, but it just smells like food. It smells like moe moe. Right. So that's my earliest memory ever. I remember some events that are just uh, like smoke in my mind. It's not fully formed. I remember seeing a painting of Jesus and his disciples. I also remember being on a donkey with my dad on one of the Sabbath day celebrations from church. Were you a happy child? I don't know. I, I can't say that I'm conscious of whether I was a happy child or not because I was always very into myself. But I think I was just happy on my own. You know, I, just, I learned how to make my own happiness right from when I was a child. So, What was your home situation like? Your relationship with your parents? Did you have any siblings as well? That's a very interesting question. I moved homes a lot when I was younger. I moved families a lot when I was younger. I grew, I, my earliest years, I think one, when I was one or two years old, I was, I remember being with my dad and my mom. I think I'm three years older than my younger sister. So I don't remember my, my younger sister being in the picture. And then I stayed with my grandmom and my mom's siblings for some time. And then I moved back with my mom. And by the time I moved back, my mom was already remarried. So I moved into my mom and her new husband's house that also had kids from my stepdad. Then I moved back to my grandma. Then I moved to stay with my mom's sister, stay with my mom's uncle, then back to my... <laughs> so I moved a lot. And as a result of that, maybe maybe I wasn't able to form rela solid relationships along the line because everything seemed very temporary. So, like I said again, I was also into myself. I was always into my own shell. I like, I'm a very, you know, outside person. I like to, I like to give off energy. I like to play if I get that energy from you, but you really don't get to know people so easily. Sometimes it takes time. 
and I wasn't able to do that. So relationship-wise, I think I've been a loner all my life amongst people. So when you were younger and your parents split, was your dad still in the picture in your life or was that that? My dad wasn't really in the picture. I saw him... I want to try and recall how many times I've actually sat across from the man. And I, I don't even think it's up to 10. I mean, and I'm in my early 30s now. So, I can't say he's really been in the picture. I wanted him to be in the picture, but then again, you don't always get what you want. Oh, he's in the picture right now. We set up mended fences and all. That's always great when, at the end of the day, you can look back and say, "Well, at least we've healed or yeah. gotten to a certain stage where we haven't yeah, we have relationships healing. still, healing. still healing. healing." So, what is what is your story? I understand that as a child you experienced a lot of abuse. Did that start before your parents split, or was that after your parents had split? It started when. I, after my parents split and I had to move to my grandmom and my mom's siblings. Right. And I think that was where the whole experience started. I experienced, not at that age, but spread out from my younger years to my teenage years to some part of my adult years. There's been sexual abuse, physical abuse, mental and verbal abuse. So I don't even know why I'm still here. <laughs> um, we used to have a lot of older friends coming around. Oh, my, my aunties and my uncles had a lot of older friends coming around. So I think I saw some stuff then I experimented with while our kids my age were as young as three, four. So we didn't even know what the hell we were doing. But it was just something I'd seen. Um, and then when I moved in with my mom and her husband, also had other kids. I remember the first meeting with my, with my stepsister. First meeting, first day we met, there was some sexual abuse. I was right out of the boat. It was a night. She had me touch her inappropriately. Again, I did not know what the hell I was. Uh, I didn't know what it was. But as I grew older, I realized what it was. I also remember some of their friends. I don't know, maybe... I was, I was just really cute as a child. Though. I was very vulnerable. I don't know what it was. But they had older friends who used to, ladies who used to come and then would make out. I wasn't even a teenager yet. I was 12, 11, and these people were over 20 years old. So there's also that. We also had house elves going in and out. I had my fair share of that too. And from my and then the physical abuse came from my mom, right? It came from my mom. I think I've been able to forgive her for it because I realized that while everybody's a 
um, we're all products of our childhood, we're all products of our environment, we're all products of our experience. And it's really possible to become that thing that you hate. And I saw my mom and my grandma fight a lot over certain issues. And I used to just look at them as a child. I'm like, do you guys not realize that you are the exact same person? Right? So maybe it was those similarities that were making them fight a lot, but it was like really serious arguments. And I'd be like, the same thing, you know, getting angry with this person for is the exact same thing that you do, but you don't see it. After some time, all of these experiences just sort of molded me to have a very defensive mindset to everything. I barely let you in. Even right now, I have very, very, very few friends. I don't just call anybody my friend. We can be guys, we can be acquaintances, but if I'm ever able to let down my guard or let down my wall for you and then you come in there, I will be reluctant to let you go. And then I apologize to you even if you hurt me just because don't go, trust me, because if you go, there's nobody else that's going to come into this world, right? So all of those experiences just really shaped me. Um, like I said, I was able to forgive my mom recently because I just sort of, I, I started to start cutting her some slack when I started to see elements of my childhood in me. Like some of the coping mechanisms, right? Some of the coping me mechanisms started to shape how I see the world, started to shape how I am with people, right? And then I spoke to her about it. It wasn't a very pleasant experience the first time. But I like dialogue. If you hurt me, I'll tell you. Right? It might take a long time, but I always want to tell you. And because of how I grew up and how my mom was this strict disciplinarian who took discipline to like whole new levels, it was really hard to talk to her. And I guess that's why it took me my adult years to really be able to stand up to her and say, listen, you hurt me. You can't be telling me I'm staying away from home when you don't, you've not necessarily made home somewhere I want to come to. Yeah. Right. We had a conversation the first time. The first time she was really defensive. Then I ended up apologizing for bringing it up. <laughs> but I didn't want to let it go. It, for me, it was a case of I understand that right now you are thinking with your emotions and you are not listening to what I'm saying. You might be hearing what I'm saying but you are not processing what I'm saying. And I'm happy to have this conversation with you again and again till we start to peel back those layers. And when the apology came, like I didn't even expect it. I, I, I got a call from her and I almost didn't want to pick up because I was like, what does this woman want again? Right. And I picked up and it was that conversation which was like, right, this is how she also grew up. And so, yes. So, your mom physically abusing you, did this start when your mom and your dad were still together or did the physical abuse start once your mom um, got into a new relationship and you moved into a new home? It started after. I started when we got into the um, 
new relationship. It started when she remarried. My mom's a really sweet woman. It's just that side of her, right? Mm. Outside of that, she's actually fun to talk to. So I started talking to her and I realized that she's actually a vibe, right? She's like the life of the party when you go out with her. I didn't, I didn't know all of those sides of her. Something that she said that stuck was that she was really frustrated at the time and she just wasn't sure how to express it. And then as a first child, first child is always that experiment, right? So she just poured off, she poured off, she poured all of the frustration into me. I think the first time that I remember, the first case of the abuse was, I was in, maybe in nursery two, or primary one. I know I was really, really, really young. I had this classmate who had, he had two 20 Naira notes. He was going to use them for exercise books. And I only found out about this after I found money on the floor. Right? I found money on the floor after closing time. And then I took the money and just kept it somewhere in the house. And then someone found it. My stepsister found it. And she was like, oh, how do you... And I used to save a lot. Why do you have so much money? And all this, even this saving I'm talking about was coins. <laughs> right? It was five naira, mm-hmm. but 40 naira was... Something back then. Something. She was like, oh, where did you get this money? And I could I just said, my teacher gave it to me. And then she took all the money and gave it to my mom. I said, so, like, this boy has... This money is getting too much for someone of this age. So I think she'd maybe keep it for him or buy something. My mom was like, how did you get this money? I said, oh, my teacher got it. My teacher gave it to me. I didn't give it to you. I didn't have a reason because I found it. I just didn't want to say I picked the money on the floor. A couple of weeks later, she came to school and told the teacher, I was like, um, I'm not happy about the cash gifts. I don't even give him this much. And dude was like, I did not give him this money. If I remember correctly, there was this other boy who, whose money got missing. And what my mom heard was, he stole that money. Maybe I don't blame her. Maybe I would have entertained the same thoughts too before deciding to consider that it could be like a whole other spectrum of things that could have happened. Right. And she went, she went home when we we got, I'm I'm not sure I want to go into details of things that, things that she did, but I have those, I still have those cars still today. And one of the reasons why I never really forgave her was because I mean, I'm in the mirror and I'm seeing scars. Like, I got this from my mom. I got, like, 98% of these scars from my what mom. What would she, what would she attack you with? Uh, everything. Everything from all the elements, actually. <laughs> my mom was a wood bender, the metal bender, the plastic bender, belt bender, metal bar bender whatever bender like anything is a weapon anything is a tool for discipline right so 
I had no choice. I, I've been tied to trees. I've been tied to ceiling fans. I've been burned with hot metal. Just insane shit, you know? Tied to a ceiling fan. I mean, I mean, trust me, like, everything has been done. Was there anyone in the house that would stand up for you? <sighs> no. People would beg. But my mom is my mom. But um, no one could really stop her. Because she's sort of an iron lady. Like I said, she's a strict disciplinarian who takes it to or who took it to complete, like, different planets of pain. And after, after some time, I just got numb to the whole thing. The feeling stopped being the same thing. Even to date, um, for anybody who knows me, even my mom can vouch for me, everybody will tell you that uh, this guy would never take anything that does not belong to him. I would never do a deal with someone and try to cheat them out of it because... To work for the money. But if I'm somewhere and someone comes in and says, oh, I've been looking for my cord all day or I've been looking for my phone all day, I start feeling guilty. Almost like I was the one who took it. And if you had someone who reads people's faces and they read my face at that point, the person would say, oh, this is the guy that took it because of how guilty is looking. And that's how my childhood sort of molded me. And now I'm trying to, you know, not feel guilty about everything anymore. Because I don't, I just don't care anymore these days, right? I've broken out of that shell. I'm a different person. But the journey down here has been unbelievable. When you were being abused, and we'll go back to the sexual abuse shortly as well. Actually, we can just bring it all in now. When you were being abused sexually, physically, and verbally, were you able to recognize it as abuse and how many years um how many years did this go on for i know you mentioned that sexually you weren't really able to recognize it as abuse yes but what about physically were you able to recognize it no i didn't know it was abuse up until three years ago and what changed my perspective or what really opened my eyes to the abuse aspect of things? I can't remember. I saw a thread on Twitter and I was reading the thread and it felt like it felt like someone, you know, read my mind like a book while I was asleep and the person was narrating my story. And the person then linked it to abuse, and then I realized that, oh my God, this is everything that I went through, right? I've been abused, and I think it was it was it was also the turning point. Like I said, just realizing it, and then being able to admit to myself that that was what happened, became a turning point to a whole different chapter for me. So looking back at your childhood, it seems as though one one would imagine then that you were quite a sad child. Is that accurate? 
<laughs> I think it's how, how I was wired. Things really make me sad. And things really bring me down. If I ever get to a point where I feel sad about something, then the next bus stop is to die. Right. That's how extreme. I, I'm, I'm just a naturally happy person. Regardless of everything that has happened, there's a story about King David in the Bible who had a son. And I think God said he was going to take the son or something as punishment. I'm, I'm, I can't remember the story. But he was in a very sorrowful mood. He was fasting. He had sack clothing and ash on his body. And the moment the son died, the guy was like, give me char. Right, give me food. Let me eat. Turn the music up and let's be merry. Like, what's done is done. And that's how I am. So I was really sad. I just, I just, I saw all of these incidences as just things. I normalized it yeah. because I didn't know what it was. I just saw it as, well, it's just another day of being beaten to stupor. Thank you, Jesus. We move. Let me go and play ball this evening. Right. So uh, I wasn't sad. More happy-go-lucky. Yes. And like I said, I, I learned to find happiness in myself. I'm a daydreamer. I'm a creative. And I, my mind is always, even when I'm sleeping, my mind is always working and coming up with like crazy ideas. So I've just been in a different world. It just reminds me of cold plays. Um, uh, is it waterfall or butterfly or something? Um, yeah. Paradise, yes, yeah. paradise. So I think it was a music video, and it was like the story of a girl who, like, life is shit for her, but there's a whole different world that she just goes into, and then she's a whole different person. She's flying in the clouds. So it was that was me, right? I'd be going through hell. I'd be serving one crazy punishment, but. In my mind, I'm king of the world. Like I'm I'm bowling, I'm in front of the whole world and I'm singing for the world, or I'm dancing, or I've made an invention or something. And those things m- would make me happy. I'd write about it. So I, I didn't I didn't have time to be sad. I didn't have time to feel pity for myself. I guess in a way that was a coping mechanism then. I think so. I just wanted to be happy, like. Even to date, right? People say I'm stupid and people say I'm dumb. Some say I'm soft. Some say I let people, you know, just talk to me anyhow and I let it go. Why can't there not be peace in the world? Like, why do you have to react to everything? Why does everything have to be serious? Why do people have to hate each other so much to the point where they have to pick up a weapon to hurt somebody else? Jesus said, turn the other cheek. And I have not had a different approach to things and that in my life. Like, all right, let me just tell you. This is what you've done. I just want you to know that I was hurt by what you did. The world doesn't end there. there it's not to say there are not, it's not to say there aren't things that you do that will make me be like, okay, you know what? This is definitely someone I want to have in my corner, but I just like to be happy, radiate love, 
let the world move on. Don't hold on to things. I've held on to things for years. And I've seen how those things that I held on to have changed me. So I'm not going to hold on to anything anymore. Oh, I heard that this is what you said about me, by the way. But it's okay. It's okay. You don't have to apologize for me. I'm just letting you know that I'm just here. It would be nice for you not to do that anymore. Right? Yeah. So you were experiencing abuse from every corner in your household growing yes. up. You had physical abuse from your mother. You had sexual abuse from your stepsister. What about your stepfather? What was his role in all of this? Um, he has a different outlook to life. This is so... So for every 365 days that my mom would beat me, right? My dad would beat me one minute. And the only time he would ever beat me was to save me from my mom's beating. And he'd be like, don't worry, let me beat him for you. Because he just feels like, if, if you beat this boy, I'm going to kill him. Don't worry, I'll, I'll take care of it for you. Right? His kids don't like him. But I like him. Do you think that's because he was probably your easiest experience in the household? Not to excuse any of his bad behaviors, but I think he was just misunderstood a lot. The World Health Organization estimates that 1 billion children globally aged 2 to 17, have experienced physical, sexual, or emotional abuse and neglect. And in Nigeria, child abuse is a serious concern. A 2014 survey conducted by the National Population Commission and UNICEF revealed that over 60% of Nigerian children experienced some sort of violence before the age of 18. These statistics provide a glimpse into the magnitude of child abuse. But behind each number is a real child whose life has been affected. It is crucial to raise awareness, support survivors, and work towards creating safe environments where children can thrive and be protected from harm. So you moved into this household at a very young age. You said primary one around then. Um, Your... Your stepsister started sexually abusing you. How long did this go on for? I think that happened with her. It happened on the first day that we met. And one more time. But it was her friends who... I don't know what it was about that whole predatory setting. But her friends sort of took over from there. Uh, I went on for about four years. and. After 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 that, we started getting house helps. Um, so it continued with the house help. After after my stepsisters and my friends, there was a new phase with the house helps that lasted for about five years too. So how old were you when all of this stopped? Eight or nine, and then. My moving around started. There was no more sexual abuse or physical abuse. 
from any of those people. I only recall one case of verbal abuse. Just, just that one. So maybe that's where my happiness started because I didn't have to deal with everything that I, that I dealt with. And when it was time to go home, I'd look for somewhere else to go. So for me, it was anywhere but home. Right. And then I, I have two first degrees and I finished the first one. In fact, before I finished the first one, they didn't know the house. I was already processing the second one because I just didn't want to be in the house. So I finished school and then I went back to school. Not because I liked school. I hate school. It was just soccer for me. It was like soulless, you know, being in my own world, being able to exist. Being able to exist without the devils, you know, without demons of my childhood. So things started getting better when I was um, about nine, ten. I think when I entered GSS one, when I entered senior, junior secondary school, started getting better. It was also weird because even when I got to secondary school, I was one of the smallest kids. I was one of the smartest kids. So I was bullied a lot from GSS one, GSS two. And then when I got to GSS three, I decided I was going to be friends with the bullies. So I became friends with the bullies. I stopped getting bullied, but then I started getting in trouble. So I was I was I was sort of a, I was sort of a terrorist in secondary school from GSS three to SS three. I was one of those guys who would be in the back of the class gambling while the teacher is teaching, be in the toilet gambling. We would go to the printing press to steal the exam questions so we knew the answers before the exam. And we were always passing fly colors. <laughs> but it was, it was just all, you know, silly stuff like that. But I wasn't really happy with the punishments that came with those things. But those punishments were nothing compared to what I'd suffered and it used to be weird when people say, are you not ashamed? They're calling you out on the assembly every morning to beat you up. I'm like, is this beating? It's not beating. If you see beating, you <laughs> you know beating. And I, I know I couldn't really brag about the fact that I could chest cane and, you know, take pain. But it was secondary school punishment was ice cream compared to home. I was more than happy. if. These punishments are the prices that I have to pay for, you know, having some sort of refuge from bullying and any form of abuse again in my life. I would gladly do it, and then I did it. Um, but then even even that also built me up in a way. Because when I then got into the university and then the cult boys came, I was like, one, you cannot even bully me into joining you guys. I'm going to beat you. I'm like, you can just kill me if you want to kill me. Just know that for my next four years in this, in these walls of this university, there's nothing you guys would say to me that will make me join your cult. And then I, I had this from different cults. And then I, just, I got into, I think along the way, I became um, sort of introverted 
Yeah. Right. Or oh, antisocial. So when I was in the university, so many people didn't even know my name. In fact, maybe only about 0.5% of the people who knew my name in school. It was probably one guy who's the child of my mom's childhood friend. He doesn't know me all the way from. I had different names. Some people used to call me Mutalab. There's this Nigerian guy who tried to bomb a plane at yes. some point. Right? And then people just saw me and assumed that I was a very devilish kid because I was never smiling, never talking from my hostel to school. And then I'm playing snooker with cultists, right? And then back to my hostel. So nobody really knew what the deal was because today I'm with guys from this cult, tomorrow I'm with guys from that cult. When doing cultism shit, they were just guys that I was hanging out with, right? So nobody really knew what I was up to and they just assumed that I was just one very bad guy. So I had all sort of weird names. But I just wasn't letting people into my space. That was it, to be honest. So the coping mechanism for the abuse that I endured when I was younger also built me up to be able to withstand some bullying and um, you know coercion. Like I cannot join this cult. You cannot tell me not to wear this color because it's your color. I don't give a damn about the color of your club. I'm going to wear this color red and there's nothing you can do about it. The worst that you can do is to beat me and take the shirts. And then they'll be, they'll be like, who the fuck is this thing? <laughs> <laughs> right. So. You kind of became someone who just wasn't really afraid of anything. Yes. Right. I just didn't care. I don't care about it. Like, I just stopped caring about things. Yeah. I just became nonchalant to so many things. I'd see someone trying to scam me and I even allow myself to be scammed just so I can tell the guardian I I knew what you what you've been doing the whole time. Just playing along. But this is the money, right? Take it. Don't worry. Just know yeah. that I know. Right. So I just became carefree. I think that's the word. I just became carefree. That was my approach to life generally. So let's speak about your relationships now. Um you said it wasn't until three years ago that you started to recognize your childhood experiences for what they really were. You've mentioned that your mom has finally apologized, but you still obviously don't have a solid relationship. What about your stepsister? I later realized that what they did was wrong. But, well, maybe I enjoyed it. Maybe I, maybe I got to touch boobs earlier than many of my friends, maybe I started getting familiar with um, nudity earlier than many of my friends. That I, I, I was, I could brag to myself about it in my own world. Like, all of this shit that you guys are just saying, all, all the things that are driving me crazy. Like, we've been having it. Right? But I don't even talk to them anymore. As we conclude this episode, we want to acknowledge the tremendous courage of our anonymous guest, who shared his story of surviving unimaginable trauma. His journey is a testament to the spirit of resilience and the power of human strength. However, his story doesn't end here. Next week, we will delve deeper into the second part of his journey, 
where we explore his path to healing and growth. Join us on Lay of the Land as we continue this important conversation, shedding light on the transformative power of resilience. Together we can make a difference in the lives of survivors and work towards a future where no child experiences the horrors of abuse.